The Wings Over New Zealand show is brought to you in association with the Wings Over New Zealand Aviation Forum, New Zealand's number one aviation discussion forum online. There you'll find discussion on all aspects of New Zealand aviation, from history to current affairs and thousands of photos covering the Royal New Zealand Air Force, airlines, general aviation, warbird restorations, air show news, sport aviation, home building, gliding, aviation media and much, much more. You'll be in good company with other aviation enthusiasts, including pilots, engineers, warbird owners and restorers, historians and authors, modelers, aviation photographers and many others. Sign up to the Wings Over New Zealand community now. It's free and easy. Just Google Wings Over New Zealand and you'll find the forum. Hi, it's Matt Jolly from warbirdradio.com. Listen, I am thrilled to have Dave Homewood as part of our broadcast family and bring your stories, the stories of the RNZAF, heard right here on Wings Over New Zealand to our global audience. Thanks for listening and hope to hear from you sometime at warbirdradio.com. G'day, I'm Steve Vischer. And I'm Grant McCarran. And we're from Plain Crazy Down Under, Australia's aviation show. And you can find us at plainecrazydownunder.com. We reckon for the best coverage of the Kiwi warbird restoration and aviation scene, you can't go past Dave Homewood and the Wings Over New Zealand show. On you, Dave. Yeah, good on you, mate. Yeah, we've got to get to New Zealand soon. Where is that anyway? Well, it's where I grew up. I thought that was Brisbane. I remember some men started praying and others started crying. Um, Partway through it, one guy got to his feet and started to run. I was scared and let that be no secret. Next thing they set the spandar up there and they opened up. And there's bloody trees, bits of trees flying. New Zealand tanks were over the other river and one of our men said to them, he said, don't start your tanks up. For five minutes, we'll be out of it. Well, some silly bugger started his tank and the Germans put over a shell and right in the middle of the bridge. It was a bitterly cold morning and I was crouched down in this damn hole and it took me two days before I could stand up straight again. Hear the stories of New Zealanders in the Italian campaign in World War II. The Courage and Valor podcast. www.newzealandersatwar.com the Wings Over New Zealand show would like to acknowledge the great support it's had from Fly DC3. You can fly back in time with Fly DC3 from Ardmore Airport, charter the DC3 Dakota and fly into the past. It's an experience you'll never forget. Fly DC3. Go to www.flydc3.co.nz Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show. I'm your host Dave Homewood and today we're talking about the Wings Over Wire Wrapper Air Show that's coming up in the next, uh, just over a week. And we're talking with John Lanham who is the Air Show Display Director. Hi John. Hello Dave. Nice to talk to you. And you too. Now the Air Show's theme this year is 100 years of aviation. Can you tell me a little bit about that to start off with? Well, of course, we're in the um, uh, uh, the anniversary of the First World War, which is very much on everybody's minds at the moment. Um, and although it's not, strictly speaking, 100 years of aviation, 
we thought we would adopt that uh, to, uh, to, in order to commemorate uh, 100 years uh, since the First World War, all, all of the various anniversaries that will occur throughout the, the First World War from uh, 14 to 18, um, and of course, in, in particular, uh, for New Zealand, the important anniversary of ANZAC uh, in April. Oh, absolutely, and of course this is happening on the 16th through to the 18th of January at Hood Aerodrome in Masterton, and that is the home of the Vintage Aviator Limited, and and they have all those wonderful World War One aircraft. So it makes so much sense uh, to commemorate the hundred years with all those aircraft uh, involved in the show, isn't it? it? It certainly does, and I mean we feel uh, enormously privileged at, at Hood uh, to have Vintage Aviator there. Um, it, it is now the flying base for, for Vintage Aviator and you know there is a very large collection of aircraft and of course the, the world is now sitting up and taking note of Vintage Aviator and indeed beating a path to, to the door and even, um, even famous and well-known organizations like the Royal Air Force Museum, uh, Duxford um, and even Shuttleworth uh, are now coming to Vintage Aviator and, and frankly, uh, looking on in amazement at, at the things that are happening there. Absolutely, absolutely. And of course, um, with the air show, you're going to have a few earlier than 100 years ago type aircraft there with the uh, the Pierce Flyer and the Pitha monoplane, aren't you? Yes, indeed. <clears throat> yes, we thought we'd definitely ad adopt the 100 years. And of course, we will, we, we will be going all the way through, literally from those early flying machines, which I'll come back to in a moment, but, but going right through World War I, World War II, uh, the, the jet age, of course, and um, right up to what is literally um, taking the world by storm, uh, unmanned aerial systems or remotely piloted aircraft systems, as, as they're now called, uh, which is literally a tsunami that's going to uh, flow over aviation and change the world, I believe. <clears throat> so we literally have 100 years from pre-World War I to the, the very latest uh, technology. Right. Actually, just um, as an ex-military pilot yourself, how do you feel about all the military side of things going to the remote pilot aircraft systems? Um, well, um, it's an interesting question. Um, uh, you know, one doesn't like to think that <clears throat> the fighter pilot would become redundant. But, uh, you know, they've been saying that for a long time and yeah. um, making terrible mistakes. And as a vintage pilot, you know, I sometimes think back on, on various thoughts that people had. For example, uh, World War I pilots didn't like to wear goggles and helmets because it impeded their vision. Uh, there was huge obstruction to closed cockpits in the 1930s because how, how could a fighter pilot possibly see outside if he was enclosed in a, in a, in a glass house? And, uh, <laughs> and of course, then uh, guns disappeared in the late 50s. And, uh, well, of course, wasn't it uh, Mr. Duncan Sands in the famous white paper of 1959 that said that the era of the manned fighter is over. It'll be missiles from now on. Well, here we are, <laughs> uh, some 50, 60 years on, and uh, manned fighters haven't disappeared yet. So uh, there's no doubt that... Um, I, I am sometimes amazed at the pace of technology, but yeah. um, but whether I, I can't see that manned aircraft would disappear for some time to come, although there's no doubt that the military uh, is now adopting the use of drones for 
what is it, uh, the, the three Ds, uh, if it's dumb, dirty, or um, what's the, is it the three Ds, dumb, dirty, or um, uh, dangerous. That's it, yes. Dumb, dirty, or dangerous, get a drone to do it. Right, okay, okay. Yeah, I, I, I'm exactly the same as you. I'm amazed by the pace of the technology, and that's why I stick to, you know, following warbirds because I can understand that stuff. <laughs> yes, I know what you mean. <laughs> so the um the the Pitha monoplane has come up from uh, Mandeville, hasn't it? Yes, it has. <coughs> it's at Hood already, and it will yep. be assembled shortly. And um, uh, uh, Jerry uh, will be flying that, and it's flown already. Of course, I think it flew yes. in 2008. Um, and we've got the Pierce replica, which is uh, an astonishing aircraft, built by Ivan Mudrovich in Auckland, who's a, a Pierce admirer, and uh, I've been up to see it, and uh, I'm frankly amazed at at the aircraft. It is incredibly sophisticated. Um, it has, well, it, it's a tricycle undercarriage configuration. It's a monoplane, not a biplane. Uh, it has a, a tractor engine, not a pusher. It has ailerons, not wing warpers, and it has a fairly rudimentary tailplane, but with, with elevators. Now, all of those things were years and years ahead of their time, and exactly. of course, um, Pierce um, came up with those ideas himself, operating in isolation. There was nothing else uh, to, to go on, and if you put, say, <clears throat> the Pierce aircraft alongside the Wright Brothers' box kite uh, aircraft, um, the Pierce looks years and years later, maybe maybe five, eight, ten years later. Exactly. I, I would totally agree with that. I, I'm, I'm totally not convinced whether Richard Pierce flew or not, but I think his design concepts were fantastic. They were, and, and, and again, when you think that he had uh, uh, no industry to fall back on, uh, no no logistics that he could call on, you know, I believe he, he actually built his own lathe. Uh, in order to be able to, uh, to to build the aircraft in turn. So incredibly innovative, and uh, I suppose we will never know for sure who flew first. Um, it does seem, from what I can gather, that he did fly, <clears throat> um, or the, at least the aircraft took off and flew, but it, did, it didn't meet and, and doesn't meet the the proper definition of flight, which is... Uh, sustained straight and level flight, controllable in three axes. Right, right, yep. Yes, well, I, I mean, I can kind of see that. Uh, I think he did get off the ground, yeah, yeah. Cool. And um, you're going to have the jets back again this time. Yes, uh, we... I, I have to say I was absolutely blown away by the six-ship jet team last time. It was just fantastic. Oh, thank you. Yes, I had the, the pleasure and the privilege of leading that. Yeah. In flying Alan Caldwell's, uh, Caldwell's beautiful aircraft. <clears throat> um, this time uh, we we were hoping to, to sort of uh, um, reprise something like that, and we initially thought of five L39s because there are five in the country now. But uh, as we got closer, uh, just the normal difficulties, logistic difficulties of getting groups together and practicing and. And, and so on, uh, just really got too hard. So we really sort of had to go with the simplest solution. And, of course, happily, uh, there are now three strike masters in Auckland, uh, you know, which have the ability to do some practice together at 
at moderate expense. Uh, you know, they don't have to transit anywhere to practice, which was the problem with our show last time. So three Strike Masters, two L39s, and a Vampire. And Correct. That, uh, th th there's a little bit of doubt yet whether I had three Strike Masters or two. One of them has an engine pro problem, but uh, that may be solved. So it, it could be um, uh, two Strike Masters or three. But we also have, uh, so they'll, they'll be doing the one o'clock um, start, afternoon start for the show. And I've always liked to start the, the wing shows with a hiss and a roar or a bit of hack rack zoom. And yep. so uh, to put the jets on at three o'clock gets all the people flooding back to the fences uh, from the, uh, the food stalls. Yep. And that'll run for about 20 minutes. And then we're going to run uh, pretty much straight after that uh, what we are calling a salute to number 14 squadron. Right. And um, <clears throat> I'll tell you a little bit about that. And of course, it's an idea that is, is very close to my heart. I had three tours on 14 squadron, including as commanding officer, um, one tour on, on Canberra's and two tours on Strike Masters. And uh, of course, you know, as, as much. Uh, uh, distraught as all of the other uh, of our fraternity when the strike wing was abandoned by she who may not be named <coughs> and um, so it, when I heard that the RNZF was going to resurrect the number it, it was wonderful uh, you know to hear that and, and yes. it sort of suits the the timing that 75 had the uh, had the, the latest and last aircraft so it would be 14 squadrons turn under the the normal scheme of things to have the new aircraft and, and indeed it will now have the Texan. So we're going to do uh, a welcome back 14 Squadron, a salute to 14 Squadron. Uh, we did uh, actually talk to the Chief of Air Force, uh, Air Marshal Yardley, about that beforehand. We certainly didn't want the Air Force to feel that we were trying to upstage them or get in first, but uh, uh, the chief was delighted that we were thinking of doing that and said, well, that's great publicity for the Air Force and, and uh, thank you very much for the, for the thought and, and for the welcome back 14. So uh, we've got just about air, every aircraft that 14 has flown. So we'll be flying a Harvard, a P-40, a Corsair, um, a Vampire, a Venom and a Strike Master. And sadly, the only two aircraft we don't have, uh, the Canberra, of course, and um, the Mackie. And, right. and then after we've flown those six aircraft in a, in a propeller formation and then a jet formation, uh, the, the T-6 Texan, the new arrival, will, will make a pass um, uh, in front of the crowd uh, as sort of to, to complete the 14 Squadron salute and say, here we are back again. Fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Mm. Oh, that's great, and and it's perfect that it's happening at Hood Aerodrome because that's the original home of Number Fourteen Squadron. Indeed, it is. Formed yeah. in 1942 <clears throat> with the stragglers from from Singapore who had to uh, you know fight their way and struggle their way back through Indonesia and Australia back to New Zealand, and they were <clears throat> those uh, Buffalo pilots were reformed into um, uh, Fourteen Squadron, and one of the early members, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> another link, a nice little link was. Uh, uh, Flight Lieutenant Stan Quill was a member of 14 Squadron, and and of course he uh, he featured large in in my career as uh, in the RNZAF. He was also the officer commanding the Avenger detachment based at Masterton 
that did some of the first top dressing trials. Ah, right. And then when uh, Tom Williams formed Sport and Vintage Aviation Society, and, and I joined shortly afterwards as the chief pilot back in 1978 or 79, then Stan consented to become our patron. Right. So right. there's a very strong link um, with 14 Squadron and the wire wrapper and Hood Aerodrome in particular. And of course, yet another link is that the P-40 we have there, the P-40E belonging to Old Stick and Rudder Company, uh, previously Ray Hanna, uh, and I've flown that aircraft about 25 hours or so on that aircraft, and that is a genuine RNZAF uh, P-40, which happily flew on 14 Squadron at Hood. Absolutely, and I also know that uh, 14 Squadron's most famous pilot, Jeff Fiskin, that's the first P-40 he ever flew. Uh, yes, I'm not sure about that. I, I know we've had Jeff down a couple of times, and um, he, he was delighted to get back into the aircraft. He has flown the aircraft. Whether it was the first P-40, I just can't re recall. But uh, Yeah, he told, he told me that himself. So. Oh, did he? Oh, great. Well, certainly he, he did say yes that he'd, uh, he had ZK-3009 uh, in his logbook. Yes. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, we were mentioned in the Texan 2s, which is going to be very exciting to see them at their first public display. Mm. Um, but is there going to be much other RNZAF participation as well? <coughs> um, not, not as much as previous years, unfortunately, because of operational commitments. And uh, originally we, we were looking forward to uh, a larger group, um, probably a P3. Uh, we're getting a static um, Hercules. Uh, two helicopters, one to fly and one static, and two Texans, one to fly and one static. But operational commitments have made some of that a little bit uh, a little bit unlikely. And in fact, we're still not entirely sure what the final Air Force commitment will be. But there's no doubt that RNZAF uh, fully supports um, uh, the wire wrapper and, and wings in particular. In, in fact, uh, our show was generally regarded as the launch air show for the Red Checkers each year, that as the teams worked up uh, late November, December, ready for the new season, then the debut air show was sort of traditionally in a way uh, at Hood, and that was a, another nice link. Uh, of course, there is no um, aerobatic team at the moment, but there is an intention, I understand, with RNZAF to create a Texan team in the full, fullness of time, and they've even invited uh, the public to suggest names for it. Absolutely, yes. And yes. so, you know, it could be, my well, my suggestion was Kiwi Black. Okay. Because, um, you know, I was the leader of Kiwi Red, of course, on 75 Squadron, and it had uh, a, a very distinguished run with a, a number of leaders, and, and Kiwi Red became, it was the final call sign that was used for the last three teams or something like that, became very well known. So um, Kiwi Black would sort of pick up on that concept and that sort of connotation. And, of course, black is 14 squadrons colour. Black, black and white were the traditional 14 squadron colours. Right, absolutely. Mm, so we'll have to uh, wait and see on that. Yeah, OK. Um, just tell me a little bit about pulling all this together as the, the display director. It's not an easy job, is it, to uh, get aircraft from all across the country mm. in one spot? That's right. It's um, well. I suppose it's like a logistics exercise <clears throat> for anything. But but and and funnily enough, uh, perhaps assembling the aircraft in one place, you know, God willing and weather permitting, is perhaps the uh, one of the easier tasks. 
Um, but we, we do start well ahead. Um, and I normally start wrapped seriously around September, October, and we're talking to people. Um, Tom Williams and I have worked on all of these air shows now uh, since um, 2001, the very first Wings show. Actually, Tom and I have collaborated on um, air shows at Wirap are going right back to 1980. Uh, remember, we had the, the big night, was it 1980 or 1982, I think? We had a big air show where we had nine Harvards and 22 tiger moths. Wow. And um, that was one of the largest gathering of tiger moths ever since the war. So yeah. we've got quite a bit of experience, and Tom and I work very well, uh, so that he um, he does a lot of the financial aspects uh, and, and the initial dealings with who can come, how much, what's our budget, and so on. Uh, partly that was because when I was at CAA, it was um, for about 12 years, it was perhaps inappropriate for me to be wheeling and dealing in financial issues, um, you know, with air shows as, as a regulator, whereas simply organizing the order of flying was a purely operational thing. So we've now been working together very well on that, and uh, we've assembled a, a wonderful group of, of aircraft from elsewhere around New Zealand. And, of course, we're going to showcase, in particular, Vintage Aviator on the Friday, in particular, and in uh, several Vintage Aviator scenarios on Saturday and Sunday. Again, God willing, weather permitting. Yes, yeah. That's always the problem with an air show is the weather, isn't it? It is, but particularly so with the World War I aircraft, because uh, although, you know, in operational necessity, like wartime, they certainly flew in very adverse conditions, but... Uh, now the aircraft are so rare and so valuable that, generally speaking, 10 knots uh, would be about our limit, and uh, particularly if the wind is gusting and swinging, uh, because the aircraft really are a handful. And um, so, I mean, we certainly don't want to, uh, you know, tip one up on its nose even, um, which, you know, upsets people, uh, let, let alone, uh, you know, have any damage to such uh, rare and expensive aircraft. Exactly, exactly. Now, as well as organising the show, you've also done a lot of um, flying and air shows over the years yourself. And yeah. I wondered, what was your first ever public display? Do you remember that? I do. <clears throat> um, well, it was um, it was just over 50 years ago. Wow. And it was in a Jet Provost Mark IV at uh, our graduation at the Royal Air Force College in England. And, oh, right. um the, the way it was done, we had four four flying squadrons which made up the cadet wing, literally A squadron, B squadron, C squadron, and D squadron. And um, uh, for convenience, we were grouped into those squadrons, uh, two, two of which operated out of Cranwell Airfield and two of which operated out of the satellite airfield of Barkston Heath because it was a lot of aircraft and a lot of pilots to fly from one field. But at the end of our course of three years, each squadron nominated uh, supposedly its best aerobatic pilot, and we flew off uh, in a competition. And uh, so <clears throat> my first low-level aerobatic air display was on, I think, um, December the 16th, 1964, at the Royal Air Force College. Wow, fantastic. And you, you were in the RNZAF then, or RF? Uh, I was actually in the RNZAF. I was an RNZAF cadet who attended 
Cranwell, uh, it, that happened in those days that every two or three years a New Zealander was sent to Cranwell and about the same odd period uh, a cadet would attend Point Cook in Australia. Right, okay, I got you. Well, that's great. And then, of course, back in New Zealand, you were involved in uh, the Red Checkers one season, weren't you, I think? A couple of seasons. Um, couple of seasons. Yes, we, uh, I was fortunate when I was instructing back at Wigram in 1969. And um, you might recall that PTS and CFS, you know, both are operating Harvards, of course, at Wigram, and yep. uh, five pilots were selected. The checkers had been running for some time at that point and of course we were all dead keen to get into it if we could. Yeah. And um, so um, Larry Olson was uh, my leader in, in those two years, 69-70. And uh, I flew in the number five slot which uh, did some formation but was primarily a solo slot. Right, okay, okay. And then later on in your career you mentioned that you were leading uh, Kiwi Red which was probably our ultimate uh, display team that New Zealand's had, isn't it? Yes, well, actually, even before the checkers, um, I, I think the Cranwell thing totally whetted my interest in, in low-level aerobatics and display flying. And, you know, I had always been very keen to, to do that. And even before I went to Wigram then and to instructing, uh, 14 Squadron Canberras uh, was allowed to have a, a squadron pilot uh, who displayed the Canberra. Um, not so, Well, in New Zealand, but... Uh, quite often, if you were in Singapore or Australia and there was something on, uh, you know, squadrons would be invited to put up an aircraft display. And for in my last year, I had the privilege of being the Canberra display pilot. Um, didn't do a great deal, I have to say, and, and I wouldn't count myself for a moment in, in the league of um, uh, Gavin Trithui or Dick Laurie, who were very impressive Canberra display pilots. But I did get to, to do a bit. And, and very much enjoyed displaying the Canberra because it was a 56,000-pound aeroplane, you know. And it, yeah. uh, so that was sort of my first serious experience. And then solo displaying the Harvard and the Red Checkers. And then sometime later, after going to a couple of other places, I came back to 14 Squadron and displayed the Strike Master uh, yeah. as a solo pilot. And then to 75 and displayed the Skyhawk as a solo pilot. And then, uh, again, with the, the turn of the wheel, uh, some years later came back to 14 as the CO and we were permitted. Uh, that was about the time of the oil crisis and a whole lot of other things in the late 70s. And the, the RNZAF withdrew from display flying so that it couldn't be accused of wasting fuel. But we were allowed to keep the skills alive. So we put a five aircraft strike master team together and we, you know, we literally used that as a vehicle to keep formation aerobatic skills alive. Uh, didn't, yeah. didn't really do any public displays. But then, uh, again, fast forward uh, about four years and I came back as CO75. And uh, there had been a previous Skyhawk team under Graham Goldsmith, uh, which did one or two displays, I think. And then when I was CO in 82-83, um, we were allowed to reform the Skyhawk team. It wasn't called Kiwi Red then, it was just a, a Skyhawk team. But uh, we did a number of displays, in, including a, a very big one at uh, Fanuapai in 83, which I, I think is still regarded as the, uh, the largest gathering of people in New Zealand. There were reputedly something like 180,000 people there wow. at that Fanuapai show. I think that figure's right. It's, 
That's incredible. <laughs> it, it was, yes. I, well, I hope my figure's right. It may be a bit less than that. But at the time, I recall, yeah. it was thought to be the largest gathering of people in one place, you know, for, okay. for an event. Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. And that was, that um, was a big, big air show that had a lot of other uh, participation as well. Right, right. And um, these days, you're involved in the warbirds as well, and you fly things like the Spitfire and some of the World War One types and that, don't you? Yes, I, I've, uh, well, I've happily uh, continued my association with the Harvard, and um, we, we have a Harvard at Sport and Vintage Aviation Society, temporarily out of the air for an engine overhaul at the moment, and I, I, I miss the aircraft, but I've flown with the Roaring Forties um, on a number of occasions over the years, and um, have displayed Harvard 3.3, the SVAS uh, aircraft, uh, at a, a number of air shows around the, the country over a long time, and then... Uh, yes, I've flown the well, the P40, um, the Spitfire, Polycarpovs, uh, with Alpine Fighter Collection and um, Warbirds, and um, then oh, and L39s. Um, one of the first owner of the L39, to, or the first aircraft to come into the country, Robert Brock, was kind enough to ask me to. Um, fly his aircraft and, and teach him to fly it. So I was sort of the first first of type pilot, if you like, with the L-39 and displayed that on a number of occasions. And, and in fact, uh, I've flown four of the L-39s in the country, but not the, the tower on the one, which has only been here a few months. Okay. All right. Um, and will you be flying in this air show as well? Yes. Um, <clears throat> a number of vintage aviator aircraft. Uh, I'm... I've been flying with Vintage Aviator uh, since uh, about 2000, and uh, it was, uh, I guess, apart from Gene DeMarco, I'd have to say I was perhaps uh, one of the longest-serving pilots with Vintage Aviator, and that sort of came about because um, Stuart Tantrum and I, you might remember Stuart, we had yes. built a Fokker triplane, and which was the first World War One in the aircraft in the country, and uh, although it had been syndicated around a little bit in uh, in the 90s, uh, Stuart and I eventually finished up owning it again, and at the same time, uh, Sir Peter uh, bought his camel, and in, I think it was 2000, um, when the camel and the, and the triplane flew together for the first time, and Gene DeMarco, who was a regular pilot with uh, old Rhinebeck in the States, had the highest time on camels, thought to be of anyone in history, something like 300 hours rotary time. So he was invited out to fly the camel, which hadn't, hadn't really flown before that, and I flew the triplane. And so the beginnings of the vintage aviator really were the triplane and, and the camel. Right, okay, okay. And that triplane is the one that's now the Red Baron? The Red one, yes. Um, as it happened, uh, Stuart and I eventually sold it to the Vintage Aviator, and um, I, I'm in the happy position of uh, still being able to fly it. Great. Oh, fantastic. Mm. Yeah, I have to say, too, with Wings Over Wire Wrapper, the last air show in 2013 was the first one that I actually ever managed to get down to, because it's a bit of a way from Cambridge, and um, I was blown away at what a great air show it is. It really is an amazing air show. Oh, thank you. I'd always sort of thought of it as, you know, maybe a little country show or something. I don't know why I had that perception. And when I got there, it was as good as a marker or, um, or Wanaka easily. It's just fantastic. 
Well, that's very, very nice of you to say so. And uh, I mean, we we certainly think now that uh, we're up there with any of them. And um, it certainly has been a full scale air show um, now for about three of the last um, the last runs of it. Uh, so much so that um, uh, for this show and the last one, we formed a community trust, uh, and that has a board, and um, that now runs the air show. We, we got to the point where we, we could no longer manage a full-scale event with the same half dozen or, or dozen uh, volunteers, and so it is now very much a business. And um, seeing you mentioned 2013, uh, that air show uh, put something like $5 million into the Wairarapa over the weekend of the air show. Wow, that's fantastic. Mm, and it, it's, it's now the, um, I think, the largest event in the Lower North Island uh, in terms of you know, a, a hospitality or, or other display type event. It's bigger than Toast Martinborough. And um, you know, we would hope this year to get perhaps 30,000 people or more um, and and that makes it the largest in terms of numbers of people attending as well. Right. Okay. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, that last air show, I'm sure that every single person who was there on the Sunday that saw that last big formation of all the warbirds following the mosquito. Mm. Uh, oh my God! That was just the most amazing display, wasn't it? It was just it was. absolutely brilliant. Yes. Well, of course, the the mosquito was a wonderful feature for the 2013 show, and we were. Most grateful to the owner of the aircraft, Jerry Yagan, who was incredibly generous in, in making yes. the aircraft, I mean, such a valuable and rare aircraft, uh, available to stay in New Zealand for uh, about two months or so after its uh, completion so that it could fly at wings. And, I mean, that was, that was a world-ranking uh, event, having that aircraft fly. And then to be able to pair it with a couple of Spitfires and a couple of P-40s and and um, you know all those lovely engines flying in formation and one of the scenarios I put together on the morning of the Saturday and Sunday show uh, was a de Havilland uh, scenario you know the good old oh, yeah. ah, de Havilland aren't they beautiful and of course yeah. we were able to go from BE2C uh, British Aircraft Factory um, or sorry British Blériot Experimental built by the Royal Aircraft Factory but in fact the first de Havilland design uh, the BE-2, so we had the first de Havilland aircraft flying, then we had a DH-5 <coughs> from World War One, and then we went sort of right through the, the ages, through the 30s, uh, through to World War Two uh, with the Mosquito, and then out the other side to the Beaver, and, uh, and so on, and so I think after we did that de Havilland scenario, as each aircraft landed, I lined them up in a row on the other side of the of the airfield looking at the, the Gold Pass VIP area. And so finally we had a line, chronological lineup of something like 11 or 12 de Havilland aircraft. And, and then the final two display aircraft were the two vampires and they taxied in and nosed up to the Gold Pass. And then the final thing was the mosquito landing and nosing up in between the two vampires. So we had a whole de Havilland um, uh, spectrum of aircraft lined up for the spectators. Yeah, that was absolutely brilliant. And it, it not only um, said to me how much of a contribution that de Havilland had made, but also how much de Havilland aircraft had made to New Zealand as well. All of those aircraft that are flying in New Zealand and, and have flown in various roles 
uh, you know, in the New Zealand landscape, it's just fantastic that company has contributed so much. It really is, yes, uh, that's that's true. And of course, all those aircraft are still here uh, in New Zealand, mm. other than the the Mozzie. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I'll be coming down on the Friday, so I'll probably miss a bit of the Friday display or practice flying, but uh, um, I'll definitely be glued to the, the display on the Saturday and the Sunday. So, well, well, um, if um, you can, try to um, try to get down by, say, 5 o'clock on Friday because um, we're trying to show, we will showcase the Vintage Aviator on, on Friday in particular. And so the Friday program uh, will have the usual arrivals and practice. But um, there'll be two half-hour displays in the afternoon featuring Vintage Aviator aircraft and then a full-scale evening show from 5.30 till 7, which is all Vintage Aviator. Brilliant. Oh, brilliant. I'm really looking forward to it. Well, thank you very much for this uh, chat, John. It's been really interesting to hear about the air show, and it's, it's really got me uh, quite keyed up now. I'm so keen to come down. Oh, good. Well, hopefully, uh, if any of your listeners um, get the same feeling, we uh, would be delighted to see you and everybody else there. And um, th there's no doubt that... Um, It'll, it'll be a great show as long as the weather helps us. And um, we, we've always taken pride in trying to have a show with variety and, and lots yes. of different things happening and, you know, not just the same thing after the other, more and more and more of the same, but uh, a lot of variety. So people are kind enough to say we really do enjoy your show and it's, it's more fun perhaps even than some of the others. Brilliant, brilliant. Okay, well, if anyone's uh, wanted to find out more about the show, they can go to the website at www.wings.org.nz or facebook.com slash wowairshow. That's right, yes, and uh, all of the information is there. And it's actually a four-day airshow because um, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, display flying, and then um, for the first time we're having an adventure aviation day on the Monday, when many of the aircraft displaying will be available for adventure aviation rides under the new Part 115 certificate. And although the prices are obviously a, a bit bit steep, you know, it's certainly not cheap to fly in a Spitfire, but um, it's, this is one of the few places in the world when you can fly in a Spitfire or a P-40 or a Harvard or an L-39 or a Strike Master, and, and that'll conclude the, uh, the weekend with uh, that adventure day. Brilliant. So Monday should be called the bucket list day, shouldn't it? It should. Yes, that's right. <laughs> it's when you call in all the family favours. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, thank you very much, John. It's been a pleasure to talk pleasure to you. Pleasure, Dave. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. That was the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood.